But we've, we've been talking about love strong. And I love this subject. And I did not, I, I kind of wanted to finish it up in February, but with me missing last week, I didn't want to leave this stuff that, on the table that we have that we could take a look into. So we're going to take the time to finish this series on Love Strong today. And uh, even speaking of that, we had, how many of you saw Joe Papkin up on the platform with us today? It's always, it's always good to see our friend Joe. Uh, many of you know Pastor Joe was with us. He was an associate at Faith Chapel for several years. And he's an associate at Champions Church in St. Louis. And we love the relationship that we have. And I know he's been coming to our men's Bible study. I'm actually speaking for their church in, isn't it in April? For their church in April. And so we love the relationships that we have within the kingdom. How many you know it's not about any local church? It's not about any local church. It's about the Lord. So love that. Um, so let's, let's look at this love strong thing. Now, as we've been talking about love for this last month or so, hopefully we haven't just said we need to be more loving. Hopefully we haven't said, if you'll do this one, two, three, and four, you will be a more loving person. Because honestly, that's not really the case. Love isn't just taught, it's caught. It's something that happens when the Lord moves into our lives that he enables us to love the way that he does. As a matter of fact, we'll even look at it later, that, um, that you really can't love without the love of God. God is love living in you. You can't love the way that he loves. I've got to have him living in me and flowing through me. So just to remind you of a couple of things, we defined love. And there are three Greek words that we looked at earlier. Eros, where we get the word erotic. It's kind of sensual, goosebumps, romance, okay? Uh, we've talked about that. We've talked about philio, which is where we get the word uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So philio, a brotherly love. But we've also talked about agape. And over and over again in the scriptures, when God is proclaiming his love for us, and demonstrating his love for us, the word that is always used is agape, which means what? Self-sacrificial. It's a self-sacrificing love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And honestly, that's the kind of love that he wants to see working within us. Remember when we talked about Simon Peter, how he denied Jesus three times on the eve of his crucifixion, and then when Jesus went to him later after the resurrection to restore him? Remember that moment? And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, hey, do you love me? And the Greek word that Jesus used there was agape. Do you agape me? Do you self-sacrificially love me? And he said, Lord, you know I phileo you. I brotherly. Jesus says again, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know that I phileo you. A third time Jesus says to him, but this time Jesus changed his word. Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know, and it said that Peter was sad. You know I phileo you. And, I, I, and my, my suspicion is the reason that, that he was sad at that question is because he realized that Jesus changed the word that he was using. And perhaps it's because Peter felt a little guilty about saying, yeah, I have a self-sacrificial love for you with a real recent memory of his denial of Christ. Okay? And it shows me that God is willing to take what we have and to work from there. I, I don't love the Lord as, as much as I should, but I'll guarantee you that his work in me is helping me to love him more than I used to. And I want to love him even more, and I want to love him with that pure love that he has for me. I want that love that he has for me to flow right through me, right back to him. And I desire that, but I'm so grateful that he takes me the way that I am right now. 
You realize someone that's never known God, as crude as they could be, as wild as they could be, could have an encounter with Jesus. Yeah, let me tell you a story. And I might have told this one years ago, but I, it just it comes back to my mind right now. There's a gentleman that I worked with all the way back in college. His name was Mike, but we never called him Mike. We called him Rock On Dude. Because when you said, hey, Mike, what's up? He's like, rock on, dude. That was his line for everything. Uh, we were valets. That's how I put myself through college. And if Mike was ever missing, you would just go walking through the parking lot and the car that was filled with the cloud of smoke from the marijuana that he was smoking, that's where Mike was. And so you'd go find Mike and, hey, man, come on, we got a party. Hey, dude, rock on, dude. Come on, Mike. Mike was the guy that I targeted. I'm like, I got to lead this guy to Jesus. I want to win this guy to Christ. He, he seemed to be the most difficult guy that I worked with. I'm like, I've got to win this guy to Jesus. He literally lived in a drug house. I remember the first time that he invited me over to come hang out and to spend the night. And I'm walking through this place. There are needles on the floor. There's all this stuff for the drug addiction. And I'm walking through this going, I am not in Columbia, Missouri anymore. My mama would not be happy about me being here right now. And I, then I'm thinking, I hope there's not a drug bust. But wouldn't it be my luck? I'm here to evangelize. I am, I am a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you are. Sure you are, right? And I remember that night, Mike finally opened up. And we sat there and we talked. And we talked. And he finally says, we, we get to a point, and I'm like, Mike, do you, do you want to ask Jesus into your life? He's like, no, dude, no, no, but man, I'm glad, it's good for you, bro, but that's, that's not for me, and I go, will you let me pray for you? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll let you pray for him. so I, I prayed for him, and I prayed a blessing over him. This was Friday night, I guess about probably 3.30 in the morning at that point on Saturday morning. I went ahead, and I said, man, I'm heading out. I went back to my apartment. I was a senior at North Central at the time, went back to my apartment, went to bed. The phone rings at like 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Now, how do you know if you've been up till 3.30 in the morning, you don't want the phone ringing at 6. And that's back when they were connected to the wall and they had a cord. Remember those weird devices? The phone's ringing and I, I fight, and it just keeps going and going. And I stumble my way out to the kitchen. I'm like, uh, hello? He's like, hey, it's Mike. What's up, bro? I'm like, Mike? Mike who? He's like, dude, it's rock on. What's up, brother? And I'm like, Mike, what's going on? He's like, bro, I just had to let you know, man. After you left last night, dude, I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, bro, I feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, I just blew me away. And it was wild working with that guy the rest of the year. Now, I'm not going to tell you he cleaned up immediately. He cut back. <laughs> he was only stoned like four times a day. It was amazing. <laughs> but you know what? Conversion happened. And God started where Mike was. Now, I'm, I'll guarantee you the church I brought was brought up in, where you're baptized in vinegar, you lose your best friend, and you put on a tie. And that is holiness. If a guy would have said, I feel a hell of a lot better, they would have said, you haven't even accepted Jesus. That's the, that's the culture I was brought up in. But all he knew was his language. And his language was, he knew that he felt a hell of a lot better, and he was absolutely right. Because God had rescued him. Now, I watched the discipleship process. I was a huge part of it. 
And by church standards, there's no way any of us would say, man, that's the guy you want to follow and you want to model him. That's that's how you want to do that. But God took his love where it was. And he was willing to start where he was and go from there. And to be honest, you might have been more church cultured and you might have known the language, but your love wasn't perfect either. He took it where it was and he started from there. And I think as followers of Christ, we have to remind ourselves Our goal is to just reach them with the love of Jesus Christ. He loves taking them where they are and bringing them along. And we don't have to give them the church standards. And we don't have to, we want them to be disciples of Christ, not clones of other Christians. There's a complete difference. He even did it with Simon Peter. Do you phileo me? Yeah, I phileo you. Okay, then we'll start with that. And we'll work from there, and I'm going to do in your life what needs to be done. Here's the observation. We'll move into new stuff. It's possible to give without loving, but it is not possible to love without giving. If, if love is involved, giving will take place. It's just the way it works. It's who God is. So here we go. We talked on our, our, our first week. How, how are we on the fourth week, and I've only made one point in this whole series? Not quite sure. But number one, we talked about that that love gives, and we addressed that. So let's pick it up here, number two, love partners with truth. Love partners with truth. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, the Greek word here is agape. So if you don't self-sacrificially love, you don't know God because God is self-sacrificially loving. So self-sacrificial love is really a divine love. It's the love that God has, and it's the love that God can flow through us. Now, the word know here isn't just an intellectual knowledge, but it's a word for intimacy. It's a word lots of times that even in the scriptures, when a man took a woman as his wife, it would say, and he knew her. And it would refer to that intimate, that they, they, that couple, know, they know each other in a way that, that other people don't know them. It's not gross, it's just the way that it is. It also, lots of times, is used to kind of define the way that a family knows each other. How many know there are different family cultures? I mean, you walk into my house, and the way that our culture is is kind of unique to, to our style. In the house that I was brought up in, there was always a meal on the table at like 5 or 5.30 at the latest. My dad worked a job where he was off at 3.30 and they came home and as a family, we sat down and we ate together between 5 and 5.30 and that was just kind of the culture the way it was. That is not the way that it works in our home now. As a ministry family, so much of what we do is done in the evenings. So we find other times that are the best times where as a family unit, we sit at the table together. It's not just over the evening meal. It's just a little different the way that our family culture works. You all, you know the same thing. So if you walk into a different house, you're going to experience a different culture. But one thing that is going to be unique to every home is the way that you know each other. You just know each other. Every day, good, bad, the best days, the struggle days, you're together, you get to know, and you know each other in ways that other people don't. Goofy things, but in real things as well. Now, I've got this birthmark, not that I'm going to show it to you, but I've got this birthmark on the back of my my right leg. It's about the size of, of my thumbnail. It's a dark little spot. And when Emma was about 18 months old, I can tell this since she's serving in the back today. When she was about 18 months old, I was in the kitchen helping with the dishes. That's one of my roles. Uh, Beth makes these marvelous meals, and then I help do dishes. 
I can't tell you how many things I've broken over the years in an effort to get out of my part of the deal, but it's not worked. She's like, how do you break so many glasses? I'm like, I have no idea how this happens, but it, hasn't, it just hasn't got me out of it, so it's still my role. So I'm in the kitchen and I'm breaking dishes and cleaning some of the other ones, and an 18-month-old Emma finally notices the birthmark on the back of my leg, and she walks over and she pokes it. And when she pokes it, I started dancing. And she did the same thing, Diane. She, she kind of giggled and she, and, and so she poked it again and I started dancing again. And I said, that is so funny, sweetheart. You found Danny's dance button. That's my, that's my dance button. How many know being a good parent, part of that is lying? Can I? No, just having fun from time to time. And so the next time that I had shorts on in the house, she walked over, she's like, walks over and she's got, she's like, dance, daddy, dance, daddy. And so then I told her the story about how I was Crazy Legs Riley in high school and I won the dance competition, the sock hop. How do you remember winning the sock hop? So, I, so that is just, it's weird, it's unique, it's what, it's just because we're family and we know each other and we're together and it's just something. And I remember when she taught, was teaching Sophie, when so, dad has a dance button. Your dad, your dad, he's got this dance button. It's just part of knowing and being family, and you get it. You guys get it. You've got that odd stuff too. Listen, we serve a good, good father. He's a, and it's not rules and regulation. It's relationship. It's laughter. It's, it's God's word talks about the oil of joy. It's rejoicing. It's laughter. It's happiness. And it's also during the struggle and the challenge in the morning, he's with us. He's a father. We know him. We, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's, let's look at the, uh, think about it here. You cannot really get to know God without love because love is who God is. It's about relationship. It's about walking it out with him. 1 John 4, 16 says, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Now, we have established that love gives. We've established that God is love. But let's take a, another thought for a moment. Look in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. So this is referring to Jesus, the son of God. Who is he? He's the radiance of the glory of God, the doxa, the glory. It's where we get doxology, the splendor, the brightness, the vibrance, the majesty of God is wrapped up in Jesus. He is the radiance of the bright splendor and majesty of God and he's the exact representation of his being. You see, God's word teaches that God is spirit, but Jesus put on flesh. And when you see Jesus, you see in the flesh the exact representation of the image of God, the glory of God. What is this saying? This is saying that the Son of God is God. I might recall or remind you that at one point, Thomas, one of the disciples, says to Jesus, hey, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Thomas, don't you understand that when you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. The Son is the Father. They're one. The Son is God. He's the exact representation of who he is. So God is love. The Son is God 
And who else does the son claim to be? Look in John 14, 6. Jesus answers his disciples. They're like, we don't even know how to get to this place. How do we even know where you're going? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or except through me. Now, that makes a lot of sense when he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God is love, Jesus is God, and Jesus just says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're talking about love partnering with truth. Do you recognize that you cannot separate love from truth and call it God? You have to take those things together. Picture a coin, and you've got two sides to the coin. On, if, if the coin is the Lord, you have love and truth, they stay together. Did you know it's possible to, to tell a fact and still not be a truthful person? Have you ever met somebody that you know they don't tell the truth? And even when they're telling you a, fa a fact that's provable, you have a hard time receiving it because they're not a person of truth. How do you know what I'm talking about? That might be a fact, but you're not truthful. And even when you're telling me a fact because you're not a truthful person, it still kind of turns my stomach a little. It's like watching a presidential campaign. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, we need, we need truth. Desp we don't just need facts. Facts can be spun so many different ways. We need somebody with truth. We need, as Christians, we need to discern, we need discernment, Lord, in this country, I've been given the privilege of having a vote. What a privilege. Would you give me discernment that I, so that I vote for truth? Not just for facts. God, I want to vote for truth. Who, give me discernment. Is, is, isn't ours a week from Tuesday that we get to have an influence in this? Lord, give us some discernment as we vote that we'll be led by truth. Here's an observation. There's a difference between facts and truth, and there's a difference between love and tolerance. A loving person might have to tolerate some, th some things from time to time, but love and tolerance are not synonyms. Somebody can tell, the, they can tell a fact while still not being a truthful person. God's Word says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, talking about our need to partner with the truth, it says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now with the early service, I focused on the first part of this. But with this group, I'm going to focus on the last part of it. That as we speak the truth in love, what does it say? A result of being a people that speaks the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. We, the church, are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. And if there are any problems in the body, it is not because of the head, it's because of the body. It's because we're not willing to do what the head is leading us to do. Many of you know that my dad had muscular dystrophy before he passed away. I have a, a younger brother named Kurt who also has muscular dystrophy. 
And there are different types of dystrophy. They, they have myotonic dystrophy. But there is one dystrophy that literally your brain is functioning completely normal, 100%. But as your brain tells your hand to move, either the hand doesn't receive the signal properly and kind of moves uncontrollably, or it doesn't receive the signal at all and doesn't do anything. So literally, you'll see someone that might be in a wheelchair that... They do not have the ability to control any of the muscles in their body, even though their brain is as functional as yours is. And you might even have a conversation and find out that they're far smarter than you are. But they don't have the privilege of having muscles that receive the signals from the brain the same way. I remember when it showed up in my dad, my dad was a pipe fitter, strong gentleman. But all of a sudden, he noticed that his grip wasn't as solid as it used to be. And from the time that he noticed that his grip wasn't solid, when my dad passed away, he couldn't even lift his own arms. He had all that strength had left his body, couldn't even lift his own arms. It was, it was tough to go through. The reason that I refer to that today is I think about that when I think about the end of this verse. I think about the body of Christ and how the head is perfect because it is Jesus. And our lack of being willing to speak the truth in love has literally caused the muscles to quit working. And the world is looking, and they're dying for someone like Jesus, and the church is floppy, and we're not walking with power or authority or anointing because we haven't connected with the headship of our Lord because we've refused to speak the truth in love. We've just refused it. Listen, the world doesn't need a deformed body of Christ. If you don't mind me, I, the world doesn't need a disabled body of Christ. The world needs a fully functional, completely opti optimal, operational body of Christ that is connected to the head, that is doing what he says to do, saying what he says to say, and doing it with love and making a difference on this planet. I... I can't even imagine what it must be like for my brother Kurt, who the signals don't work right. I, I can't imagine what it was like for my dad. There were so many times that we would talk and he would be like, he called me Bradley when nobody else was around. Bradley, this is, you just can't even imagine. I used to, and, and life became a lot of I used to. I used to be able to lift this. I used to be able to throw that. I used to be... I can't even take the top off of a bottle. I can't imagine what it would be like to be Jesus who has decided to flow through his body to the world and he is sending his spirit and he's sending the word and he's giving the leadership and we're not responding. Oh God, help us to speak the truth in love. Please don't let this culture convince you that silence is love, that tolerance is love, that justifying everybody's behavior is love. That's baloney, okay? People need the truth. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Not only do they need the truth, but look at what it says. Love does not do what? Delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Think about this in this, in this Greek word for love here is agape. Think about this in the sense of God. God is love. 
God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Do you realize that God prefers an honest confession over a no contest plea? That God prefers a justice system over a legal system? He actually rejoices with it. When truth, don't you like it when somebody can walk into the room and speak some truth and give some light into a situation? Doesn't something kind of jump within you? I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. He's saying that. She's saying that. Somebody walks in and says, I've observed the whole thing. This is what's transpired and it connects with you and you're like, oh man. There is something comforting about the truth. God's word says that love even rejoices with it. That Greek word means to continually rejoice. There's a continual rejoicing when love and truth partner with one another. Look in John 8, 32. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So God is love. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word is Jesus. Jesus is God, the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is truth. Jesus is love. He rejoices with the truth. He doesn't delight in evil. He knows that the truth will set you free. He even spoke this to a group of religious leaders that were saying, we've never been slaves of anyone. And he thought, you still don't get it. The truth is going to set you free. And there's a passage in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 that kind of hits this. It says, the coming of the lawless one. People ask about the Antichrist. Here's just some other ideas of the Antichrist spirit of the day. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Satan literally means accuser, the work of the accuser. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that, de- uh, that deceives those who are perishing. Look at this. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Didn't say they perish because the miracles didn't happen. It said they perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. I want to share something with you. You guys, you know I love seeing the sick healed. I love seeing the signs and wonders of God. I love it. When prophetic words happen and different gifts of the Spirit happen, I love it. But I want you to know the enemy can counterfeit gifts. The enemy can counterfeit miracles. The difference in the last day, God's word talks about an increase of signs and wonders. If there's going to be an increase of signs and wonders in the church, you better believe that there's going to be an increase of it in the world. Because the enemy's going to counter it because he wants to bring confusion to the body. What do we do, Pastor Brad? We don't want to be like those that refuse to love the truth and be saved. At the end of the day, miracles can be counterfeited. But we still stand on the truth of God's word no matter what the situation is. If we brought somebody in as a guest speaker because he had a reputation and we felt like we'd screened him and they came in and they worked in miracles and they were done with that meeting and they said, and I want you to know, I haven't just done this under the authority of Jesus. I've done this on the authority of a new revelation that he's given me. We would immediately step up We would renounce what had taken place in the service. We would repent for bringing that person into the facility. And we would say, there is no other revelation than Jesus. Paul even said, if I or an angel from heaven would bring a message other than the message that Jesus has already established, let him be eternally condemned. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a world looking for signs and wonders, and we're looking for people that will stand on truth and love no matter what the signs are. Truth and love. Do you receive that? We need to be those kind of people. Think about it. Miracles don't impress me. Holding to the the truth when surrounded by falsehood is what it's all about. That's what's impressive. If you can be in a room and there are miracles that are happening, but the truth isn't being preached and you know in your heart that it's wrong and your gut, you can feel it. When you stand up and say, I don't care what everybody else is doing. It is not confirmed by the truth of God's word and I don't receive it to me. That deserves a round of applause because that's when you're standing in the discernment that the Lord's given you. You see, the coming of the lawless one, it's going to be amazing, its impact on the earth, because people will follow the signs, and they'll follow the miracles, but they'll drink the poison. And the problem is, the enemy knows that, and he's already preconditioned, and he's been working in the church, that we've succumbed to the message that to speak the truth is hateful. We've got to start recognizing again that speaking the truth isn't hateful. It's one of the most freeing, liberating things that we can do for others. Because if they don't have the truth being presented in love, what are they going to have to check it against when the miracles are happening? Truth and love goes hand in hand with the miraculous. Goes hand in hand with it. Let's keep moving. In John 8, verse 44, it says, You belong to your father, the devil. Not you guys, by the way. This was Jesus speaking to the religious crowd, and I'm not speaking to religious people, amen? Okay? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This comes from an excerpt of a moment when Jesus is speaking to the religious crowd. He's told them that they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. They're like, we've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus is dealing with the spiritual slavery that they're struggling with and they don't even recognize it. And he gets to the point and he basically says, you're so blinded, you don't even see that you belong to your father, the devil. How many know that religious people love being told they're the devil's children? Hey, Bishop, your dad's Satan. Wow, that's going to go over real well, isn't it? They wanted to kill him. Let me give you some things regarding the devil. I hate talking about him, but I want to give you a list of a few things. We're going to put them up there real quickly for him, Dan. Regarding the devil, number one, these all came out of this verse. He has evil desires. Number two, he is a murderer. Number three, he doesn't hold to the truth. Number four, he has no truth in him. Number five, his native language is falsehood. Number six, he is a liar. And number seven, he fathers lies. That literally means he's like a a lie creator. He fathers lies, okay? So we have, he has evil desires. He is a murderer. He does not hold to the truth. He has no truth in him. His native language is falsehood. He is a liar. He fathers lies. This is describing Satan. One of the things that we will not put up with in our home is falsehood. Any other parents that you kind of have this rule, no matter how bad it is or what happened, you better tell me the truth. And it's not just because lies make me so stinking mad, and they do. 
But it's also because when we begin to partner with falsehood, we're partnering with our accuser and we're opening up an access point for the enemy to gain a foothold within our lives. I've met people that they're, they, they throw out their stories so easily they don't even know they're lying anymore. Any Jerry Seinfeld fans here from back in the day? You remember George Costanza's word of advice to Jerry when Jerry had to pass a lie detector test? Anybody remember that? Yeah, I knew, I knew Pastor Tony would. In this particular episode, Jerry Seinfeld was a Melrose Place addict, and he didn't want to tell his girlfriend who was a police officer, and so she put him on the lie detector to see if he really watched Melrose Place or not. And George Costanza said to Jerry, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. That was his answer for passing the, the lie detector test. And I think in our culture, a lot of people really believe that to be true. If you believe your own story, it really doesn't matter what you... Have you done a fact check on that? All right? Have you fact checked that? Have you made sure that that story is true? All right, Wikipedia, they've got all the answers. Go there, I'm sure they... What, what's that other one that everybody goes to on the web? Have you ever snoped them? to find out who founded that thing, you need to snope snopes. Because you'll find out that not everything that they put on there is true. It's interesting to me that we won't turn to the Bible for our facts and information, but we'll go, well, did you snopes it? You gotta make sure, I mean, if you're gonna Google it, you better go there and see what they have to say about it, right? It's amazing. People will perpetuate falsehood all the time. Folks, we've gotta be people of truth. If we're not people of truth, I'm going to say it, we're not people of love because they go together. Truth and love go together. Let's wrap this up. Love hates evil. I don't have a lot of time for this third point. It really needs to be a week, but I can at least give you some summaries, and if you want to jot these verses down or take a picture of them, in Psalm 45, 7, this is a beautiful verse, David is prophesying, King David, and he says in his prophecy to the Lord, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Do you see the little hidden treasure in that thing? I wonder if David even realized what he was saying. He basically is saying God the Father exalted God the Son. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Because the Son loves righteousness and because the Son hates wickedness, He's been exalted. And there's an oil of joy that goes with that. Didn't we already say that, that love does not delight in evil, but it what? Rejoices with the truth. Here again, if you love righteousness and hate wickedness, there is an anointing of joy that comes along with that. Look in Psalm 97.10. The word to us now, that was a word of, uh, to the Lord. This is a word to us. Let those who love the Lord do what? Hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. I think that we should... All, as, as followers of Christ, not only should we be known for our generosity, not only we, should we be known for our love, but we really should be known for the fact that we hate evil. We hate it. 
We know the way it destroys lives. We know what it does to people. We know how it alienates them from the Father. We know how it keeps them from living out their purpose. We hate evil. We hate it because we love the Lord. Romans 16, 19, and 20. Paul says to the church, everyone's heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Amen. I want to be wise about the good. I want to be innocent of evil. What does it mean to be innocent? Not contaminated by it. I don't even want to know it anymore. As the apostle Peter told the church, he said, you've already spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. No longer. I I don't want that any longer. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. And it sure doesn't help me with my purpose. Here's the final conclusion. If it's love, it will give. It will partner with truth. And it will hate evil. If love's in it, those things are going to happen. It's going to give. It's going to partner with truth. And it's going to hate evil. Amen. That's all I got for you today. Why don't you stand with me? You know, it's having you stand with me, it does a couple of things. First of all, it allows you to stand. That's important. Secondly, it gives you the inference that I've wrapped up so that I can keep talking after you're standing and you realize he's gone into sermon part two before, right? I mean, it, we all know how it happens. I, stay up, man. Don't give in. Don't give in. I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in this culture that we're in, They don't need us to be silent. They need us to to speak. They just need us to do it with love. And I just urge you before the Lord, when it comes to sharing with those that you work with, sharing with family members, don't, don't shrink back. God's word says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Step up and share. Just do it with love. You never know. A guy that you work with for a while that smokes doobies in the car that tells you, no, I'm not ready for your Jesus might call you up too early on a Saturday morning and tell you, I gave my life to Jesus last night. It's always worth the risk of truth and love. It's always worth it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I, I thank you for your love for them. And I thank you that someone shared the truth with them. All of us, we, we, were, we were lost, insecure and broken, and we needed you. We needed the answer, and you used voices. You used praying people. You used friends. You used others to speak, and more than anything, you used your Holy Spirit to speak that we would surrender, and God, I ask in this culture, it's a, it's a culture of lies. It's a culture of falsehood. It's all around us. I ask God that you would raise up those that speak the truth in love. And I ask God that you would help us to be those that speak the truth in love. We need it, Lord. Our world needs it. And I pray as a church that we won't be a body that's powerless to doing what the head is calling us to do. 
But I pray that because we speak the truth in love, we would feel the life of God flowing through our limbs and our organs. That we wouldn't have spiritual muscular dystrophy, but we would walk in spiritual health so that not only do we live the life we're called to live, but we help others to find that same liberty and that same opportunity. And now, God, I just thank you for these people. I thank you for your love for them. I thank you for bringing us safely together again today. And I ask that whatever they may be going through, I ask that you'll shine light on it, whatever they may be going through. And I pray that you'll give them discernment and you'll give them direction. And I also ask, God, that you would bless them and keep them and that you would shine your face upon them. Fathers, we give our offering today. We celebrate what you've allowed us to do for the poor. But we also just tithe and give out of obedience. And I ask that you would increase our storehouse of seed so that we have even more to sow. And I ask, God, that your people will be excellent in what is good, that they will be innocent of evil, and that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.